This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dan. I am married to Karen. I've got three kids, Jasmine, Leila, and Noah, who are here somewhere. And we live in Ashton, in Bedminster, near North Street, widely recognized as the best part of the city. And we've been part of Seven for many years. Um, and until the end of January, I was part of the staff team here at Seven. And then I uh, stepped back from that role from February. And some of you may be wondering how I've been using my time since then. You might be concerned whether I've been putting it to good use. And I have a very simple answer to that one I've brought with me today. Does anyone know what this is? Nobody? This, my friends, is a blue belt in Kung Fu. This, a blue sash, I should say, in Logar Kung Fu, which uh, I'm very proud of, and my son Noah has roped me into Saturday morning Kung Fu classes, which is ridiculous. At the age of 43, to try and start learning some martial arts, I'm terrible. Noah is completely far and away better than me, but I'm very proud of it, so I'm going to leave it there. It goes up in my bedroom. One day it'll be framed. <clears throat> the other thing that I've been doing with my time, that's the main thing, but the other thing I've been doing is focusing a little bit more on the work that I do with Bridges for Communities, which is a local charity that connects people of different cultures and faiths here in Bristol, seeking to improve the relationship between those communities and promoting understanding and friendship. Really trying to come in the opposite spirit to some of the division and polarization that we see happening in our society. And we have a bunch of different projects. We run peace feasts. We've got a school linking project. We have a sewing project called Stitching Together. But we also have a special focus on welcoming people who are seeking sanctuary here in Bristol, which is what I'd like to speak to you a little bit about today, because you may have noticed that this is a topic that has been in the news a lot recently with the government's illegal migration bill, uh, people coming across the channel in small boats, uh, Gary Lineker and some of the things that he said on Twitter and how he nearly brought down Match of the Day and the BBC. And then we're going to look at a few things that the Bible has to say on these matters. The Bible doesn't refer, of course, to the illegal migration bill specifically, but I think there are really some principles in there that are relevant and can help us kind of sort our way through a modern complex problem like the one that we're talking about. And then we'll talk about how we, as followers of Jesus here in Bristol, might respond to some of these questions. I'd like to say that I owe a debt of gratitude to Krish Kandaya. He is the founder of the Sanctuary Foundation. He's a man who spends a lot of his time working with government and advocating for a kinder and fairer response to refugees. Uh, he also works a lot with churches in helping them to respond well. So I'm drawing a lot on his work today. And I'm also indebted to people who I spend a lot of my week with, working alongside, who are very much in the middle of these debates and are personally impacted by them. Last Sunday, uh, in the afternoon, I went out on a walk that Bridges organized as part of our project called Walk With Me. And it was with a group of asylum seekers, men who are seeking sanctuary here in Bristol, but are currently housed in a hotel. So they're in temporary accommodation. When you hear hotel, please don't think glamorous lifestyle. It's very basic, and the food that they receive is very substandard. And most importantly, their lives are really held in limbo. So they are not able to move on with their lives and, 
and, and find hope and a way to move forwards. They're kind of just stuck waiting for our system to kick in and for their case to be heard. And as always with these walks, it was really interesting to talk to people, to hear a little bit of their stories. Uh, we don't ask too many questions. It's not appropriate to do that in that context. But you do find out. You know, there was two guys there from Egypt who fled for political reasons. Um, don't know how much you're aware of the situation in Egypt, but if you have a view that is opposed to the governments, you are imprisoned, basically, uh, to put it in a nutshell. Uh, we had guys from Iran, where you would have seen a lot of the unrest that has been going on there recently. Some from Afghanistan, where the situation is simply tragic after the, um, the fall of Kabul and the, the rule of the Taliban. We had one uh, guy from Myanmar, which apparently is the world's longest ongoing civil war. And then there were others from Uganda, Pakistan, Russia, to name a few. Countries that you might not necessarily associate with war or understand why someone would need to seek sanctuary or safety here in the UK. But there are reasons apart from war to do with persecution, to do with uh, association with groups or political opinion or being a member of the LGBTQ uh, community, etc., that can cause people to need to flee. And it's just so sad as you walk alongside people to discover some of those things and to, to see what some people have to live through. But I'm also always struck by people's humor and resilience and dignity and that they're just ordinary people like us whose lives have been turned upside down uh, by things outside their control and who now find themselves in a situation, in a context, in a place that is new, that is unfamiliar and where they wonder if they will be welcome. And they're caught up in the middle of this public and political debate about how we as a country respond to people who are seeking asylum here. And I want to suggest that this issue is a really crucial one for us to find a way through and to get right. Because the movement of people across the globe is not getting any less and is not going to get any less. Uh, conflicts will happen from time to time. And when you put into the mix as well the impact of climate change, as that becomes more and more acute, we're going to continue to see people moving, seeking safety, seeking a better life. Just look at what's happened in Sudan in the last few weeks. I'm not sure how much you followed this in the news, but it's a country that's had its fair share of problems. Up until 2019, it had a military dictator called Omar al-Bashir, who ruled for decades. He was then overthrown by the people. It was a kind of a moment of great hope. The military intervened and stepped in and kind of deposed him. But the military has then held on to power, and what's happening now is two of the top generals in the military are basically fighting it out over who is in control. And that eruption of violence has suddenly led to 300,000 people displaced within Sudan and the creation of over 100,000 refugees who have fled Sudan into neighboring countries. And the UN expects that that may soon go up to around 800,000. That kind of thing can feel a long way off. We see it on our TV screens, but the world is so interconnected now, and Bristol has a really sizable Sudanese community. At Bridges, we work with a number of friends who are originally from Sudan. Uh, we actually recently uh, helped facilitate an iftar meal where the Sudanese community and the Muslim community invited neighbors to come and share a meal with them on College Green. It was a really special evening. 
Um, but we've also got a colleague and a trustee of the charity who are from Sudan. It's been really hard this week just to see our colleague Asia just beside herself with worry for her brother, who is a successful businessman in Khartoum, the capital. Within 24 hours, he had to make this decision to pack up his life, his bags, to put his family onto a bus and to flee across the desert into Egypt. And she had a number of hours there where she couldn't contact them. There was no phone line or internet working. And she was you know, beside herself with worry. Uh, but fortunately, they did make it OK. And they now join all of those thousands of others who are in limbo, living in a foreign country, waiting to see what happens at home and if they can go back. So Sudan is another sad but current reminder that conflict happens and you know, natural disasters happen too, like the earthquake in uh, Turkey and Syria, persecution due to religious or political beliefs, etc. Uh, it's going to cause people to continue to move and to seek safety. And we need to find ways to make this work better than it is currently working. We need to find ways of responding that are kinder and fairer and also more sustainable for everybody. Which brings me to the illegal migration bill. And I could speak till at least five o'clock about this. I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know how I'm going to convey them in a few minutes. Um, but essentially, it's something that I feel that I have to mention. It's an important part of the context that we operate and live in, and which has a major impact on how we respond to these questions, which I think are questions that are close to God's heart. So this bill has been around for a while, and it was passed by the House of Commons last week. So it's now just awaiting approval from the House of Lords before becoming law. And what it says, well, what the government says is that it aims to prevent and deter unlawful migration into the UK, particularly migration by unsafe and illegal routes. People in breach of immigration control will be removed from the UK to Rwanda or to a safe third country. And this will take legal precedence over someone's right to claim asylum. People who are removed from the UK will also be blocked from returning or seeking British citizenship for life. And the main focus of this bill seems to be on stopping people crossing the channel on small boats. And the slogan, stop the boats, is the catchphrase that the government is using and has made one of their top five priorities. So it's got a lot of reaction. Some people support it. Um, there is clearly a problem. There is a system that is not working that needs to be addressed. But many people across the country have voiced their concerns. And perhaps most famously, a certain Gary Lineker. Um, so for some of you, this may have kind of come onto your radar or popped onto your newsfeed. I recognize that not everybody lives in the same world as I do. And, and um, you know, this might just be something that's kind of out there in the mix with all of the other issues that are going on. But Gary's tweet um, was actually a response to one from the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. Uh, and initially, he said, good heavens, this is beyond awful. Then when somebody replied and said that he was out of order, he reacted, there is no huge influx. We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And I'm out of order, question mark. The whole thing mushroomed from there. Gary was suspended by the BBC. 
We all had to watch an episode of the match of the day with no music and no commentary. <laughs> there was a bit of a standoff, and by Monday, the BBC had apologized to Gary Lineker, and he was reinstated. Now, the phrase that got him in hot water and was maybe the most controversial was the one about language being not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And some people felt that this was ridiculous as a comparison or offensive, uh, or that it was just unhelpful. And once you compare anything with the Nazis, you've basically lost the argument. But others said that actually it was factually correct. Gary himself never backed down from that statement. And that they said that the language that uh, was used in the build-up to Nazi control was all about dehumanization. It was about talking about the Jews and other minority groups in a way that dehumanized them, and that some of our politicians have perhaps done the same, implying that people coming across the channel are criminals, are a threat to our country, are fraudsters, or as one minister recently put it, those, tending to, those crossing tend to have completely different lifestyles and values to those in the UK. So, big debate about all of this, about language being used. Um, we don't have time to go into it in too much detail, but let me just mention a few quick definitions that might be helpful. Uh, again, if this is something that you're kind of just thinking about or digging into a little bit more. When, when I use the term asylum seeker, I'm talking about someone who has left their country of origin due to war or persecution, and they apply to stay in the UK for safety. Okay? So to do that, they have to be here, they have to submit an application, they are interviewed, then their case is investigated by the Home Office, it's supposed to be heard in court, and then a decision is supposed to be made. Uh, that's supposed to be the process. At the moment, that process is not working well, which is why we have 51,000 people currently in hotels. A refugee, by this country's working definition, there is a fuller definition by the UN, but by this country's definition, really, it's someone whose claim for asylum has been granted by the government. So they've been through that process, they've claimed asylum, and that has been approved. They now have what we call refugee status. On the other hand, a refused, or a refused asylum seeker is someone whose asylum application has been unsuccessful the Home Office decides that they don't fit the criteria mapped out by the UN. And a fourth term that is often used is uh, the economic migrant. And this is something different. This is someone who has moved from one country to another to work or in search of a better lifestyle. Okay? So there is a real difference between refugees and economic migrants, but I think some of the language being used at the moment, you can decide whether it's deliberate or not but it conflates the two. And I think one of the reasons for that is if we think about migrants, people who might just be hoping for a better lifestyle, then perhaps it's easier to justify turning them away and refusing entry. But if that person's life is in danger, then none of us wants to be responsible for being part of the decision to send them back towards that danger. So to cut a long story and all of my notes short, what the bill does essentially, to all practical purposes, is it ends the right to claim asylum here in the country, uh, in the UK. Because it says that the only viable way to get to this country is illegal. If you come in that way, then you will be deported. And this then creates a legal issue because under international law, 
anyone has the right to claim asylum in any country that has signed the 1951 Refugee Convention, which we did, and to remain there until the authorities have assessed their claim. So we really need a system that enables people to do that. Um, it's going to have to take some big thinking. I don't envy the people who are going to have to make those decisions and come up with those ideas and systems. Uh, but we need something that is fairer. We need something that is uh, more sustainable. Clearly, there is a problem. It's not sustainable to carry on the way that we've been carrying on. But I don't think punishing the most vulnerable and those for whom this is a matter of life or death is the way to go. Of course, there will always be people who abuse a system. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that every person that comes on a boat from France necessarily has a valid claim, but I think it's a small number among those who do that are rejected. And that is evidence, I think, that for most, they come because they're forced to and not just in the hope of something better. So all of that, I say, really, just as a, as a human being and without really needing to bring faith into it. But as followers of Jesus, I think we need to look for guidance from the Bible on how to respond to these challenges too. And for me, I don't think that kind of bolting our doors and battening down the hatches is a good fit with the kind of kingdom of God playbook either. As I said, the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about the illegal migration bill. The wonderful, though sometimes frustrating thing about the Bible is, is that it's just as much or maybe more about how we think than telling us what to think. So we need to look at themes that seem important to God, values that he speaks about, and then apply those to this particular issue just as we would to any other difficult issue that we're trying to find our way through. So let me quickly draw out a few thoughts about themes in the Bible that I think can help to inform our response. The first one is that God cares a lot about justice. It's a theme that is impossible to miss. You know, almost wherever you open the Bible, read for a few pages, and this theme will pop out to you. It's, it's one of God's high priorities, and this verse from Amos puts it pretty starkly, where God says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Why? Well, there's something wrong in your society. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Another prophet, Micah, echoes that thought. He says, he has shown you, God has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So in that verse, we see justice and mercy hand in hand. And what's the difference? Well, justice is about going kind of upstream to the source of the problems. If mercy is more closely linked with compassion, it's about responding with love to those who are suffering, to some of the symptoms of the issues. Justice is about going upstream and saying, how do we fix it? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. I love that quote, that image. So justice is a key theme. A second one is welcoming the stranger. Uh, it's part of this concern for justice. It's a repeated instruction from God to his people throughout the Old Testament. 
A classic example in Leviticus 19 says, when a foreigner, or some translations say stranger, some say alien, and some say sojourner or traveler, when a foreigner resides among you in the land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. God shows a particular concern for the vulnerable in the Bible. We've seen that uh, again and again. And there are four groups who are mentioned repeatedly uh, as a special concern for God. They're referred to as the quartet of the vulnerable, and it includes the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the foreigner or the stranger. In the Old Testament, there are more verses telling God's people to love the foreigner than there are verses telling them to love their neighbor, which, of course, is the command that we're perhaps more familiar with. Um, Just some more examples. Zechariah 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. So the word refugee didn't exist when the Bible was written, but this word stranger or foreigner, I would suggest, we can legitimately assume is equivalent or included because that term foreigner was referred to people who uh, had come to live in the land from somewhere else and that would inevitably include or mostly include people who were forced to move. In the New Testament, we have the teachings and examples of Jesus on this same theme. Uh, When it comes to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is painting a picture of the end of time, and the king is the picture of God that he uses sitting on his throne and separating people, apparently according to what they have done in this life. And he says, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Jesus knew what it was to be a stranger, of course. He was born into a family that quickly became refugees. As Herod went on the attack and searched out uh, all of the young children in an effort to eliminate uh, this apparent rival, this Messiah that uh, had been spoken of, so Jesus and his family fled to Egypt and they spent his early years there as a stranger, as a foreigner. So he knows what it is like to walk in those shoes. Jesus also told stories like the Good Samaritan, where he chose the foreigner, the outsider, to be the hero of the story. He challenged that prevailing worldview of us and them, uh, which was that kind of simple division of people into Jews and Gentiles. Jesus broke down those divisions, and he helped people to see that God was the God of all people. If you want to hear more on that thought, do listen to Owen's talk from last week, which was wonderful. Three other quick themes, just to mention before we go on to response. We are to speak up on behalf of those who have no voice. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Lots of other verses and examples of this too. The life of the prophets, of course, but also Jesus as an example and Paul. These were people who were disruptors. They were aware of what was going on in their 
country, in their government, in their system, and they were willing to speak up and challenge and take personal risk to do that. Uh, Krish Kandaya points out that there are a couple of different ways of doing this, different kind of methods mentioned in the Bible. There's the John the Baptist model, where you're just out there challenging, saying what you think, and not caring what the consequence is, etc. that kind of tradition of protest. And then there's the Daniel model, where he kind of lived in the palace of the king, he worked within the system, and he came up with solutions to make things better. So both of those are ways of speaking up on behalf of those who have no voice. Another invitation and call we have is to be peacemakers. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. God is a God of peace. Jesus was referred to as the Prince of Peace. So when we act in any way to bring peace, whether that's the smallest action with a neighbor or challenging the system or a government, we share in the family likeness. That's why it says they will be called children of God. People will see that and will see the image or the reflection of God in those actions. But as we challenge, we do need to be careful not to add to the division and the hate. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of dehumanizing the other side, whether that's a political party or a neighbor or just people of a different view. We're called to be different in that way. The final theme is just that our faith is other-centered. It brings massive benefit to us. It brings joy and peace to my life every week. But it's not only about me. It's not only about my interest or my comfort. I think that's hard to get away from in the Bible. And Jesus, of course, models that other-centered life, that sacrificial love that is so inspiring to us. And I think we need to be mindful of that and kind of weigh that up as we think through our opinions and our actions uh, and allow that to challenge us as well. So as you can tell, I think the Bible gives us some strong hints uh, at how we should be thinking as we come to this question of people who are seeking sanctuary here in Bristol. And I think and I hope that our response is driven by compassion, by a desire for justice, by generosity to those who have less than us, by a willingness to welcome the stranger, and by love, you know, possibly even self-sacrificial love. So to finish, a few ideas of what that could look like in practice today. And quick conversation in our car on the way here this morning was a good reminder to me about a couple of things. I just shared with the family what I was going to be talking on today. Jasmine's immediate response was, I hate talks like that, <laughs> which was really encouraging. No, no. But the reason was, she said, because then I, I, want to, I want to do so much more than I can do. And, you know, I think you're speaking as a young person, but also something that probably all of us feel around limited capacity, around, you know, other things, other priorities. So I recognize, you know, that it will look different for different ones of us. But really, my hope is that all of us are aware, informed, and thinking through what God's heart is in response to all of this. The second thought was from my wife who said, people are best when they just focus on one thing. In other words, don't expect everybody to sign up and become a permanent volunteer with Bridges for Communities or what, you know, anything else that is in there in the response. Um, and I agree with that. We all need to think through and spend time with God, listening to him. Lord, what is it 
that you want me to be responding to at the moment. It may be nothing to do with what I've talked about today. It may be something completely different, and that's wonderful and fine. But there are some simple, practical options if you do feel compelled to act. Um, an exciting new one is a welcome hub that is opening up not far from here, and that is a collaboration between different churches in Bristol that are getting together and putting that on for people who are currently in hotels uh, awaiting their asylum case to be heard. Okay, so they're already here. It's not a question about whether they're coming across the channel or not. They're here in the city. They're in difficult circumstances. And as churches across Bristol, we want to work together in order to create a welcoming space, a time in the week. Initially, it's going to be Tuesday mornings, but it might open up more than that, where people can come and enjoy a comfortable environment with people that listen and care and there will be other organizations and agencies bringing some of the professional services and support that people need as well. Okay, so there is an expression of interest form available through the e-bulletin and will also be on the website alongside where you can find this talk. I'd love you to consider that, maybe as the main option for response today if you're up for it. As well as that, though, there is the Welcome Hub at Totterdown Methodist Church, which is where Seven's offices are based, and on Friday mornings that welcomes people from uh, Ukraine, but other nationalities as well. It's a great opportunity to be involved in, and of course you are all welcome to be involved with any of Bridges' programs uh, if you just sign up and go through the process through our website. A second option could be around providing hospitality or housing. Uh, you know, this country managed to accommodate 117,000 people from Ukraine by opening our homes. And there is a current and very needed conversation around whether that could happen for people from Sudan. Uh, if you go to the Sanctuary Foundation website, that's the organization Krish Kandaya leads, you can see a brilliant little campaign video for the government to do something similar. It might look a little bit different but something similar for people who are fleeing Sudan as well. There's been lots of positives about that model as well as some challenges too. And if you are not able to provide a home, like most people probably won't be able to, it could be as simple as inviting someone around for a meal or for a coffee. Hospitality plays an incredibly important role in so many different cultures. And showing people hospitality goes a long, long way towards how they feel about settling in and rebuilding their lives here in Bristol. Third option is speaking up. We do have the mechanism in this country of writing to your MP. That might sound a bit formal and you know, futile perhaps, but it's not futile. It is a way that we have of speaking up on issues that we care about. You can also contact your councillor and you can be more creative than that as well. Um, the final thing, uh, just aware of time, is about living generously and for all of us to be thinking about ways that we can do that uh, and be a blessing and a support to people who are in hard times. So to finish with, we're going to do something a little bit different, which is we're going to have a prayer of intercession for people who are on the move today, people who are seeking sanctuary or safety. And the words of each paragraph are going to come up on the screen. I'll read those words, we'll have a little bit of background music playing, and then we'll have a pause. And I just invite you to reflect on what's on the screen and allow your heart to connect with God and to bring that prayer to him, but also to respond to the Holy Spirit and anything that he puts on your heart as you, 
uh, as you read those words too. So let's do that and then we will finish. God of love, thank you that no one is a stranger to you and you are not far from any one of us. Today we pray for all refugees and victims of war, for people separated from their loved ones, for those who've left home and are seeking safety, and for all who are afraid or are in danger. May they know your presence with them and sense your love and care for them today. We pray for people who are on the move right now. Would you meet them on the road, watch over them and guide them to safety? Would you meet all of their needs, God? Provide food, clean water, and safe places to stay. We pray for peace in countries torn apart by conflict. We pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, so that people would no longer need to flee their homes and make dangerous journeys to feel safe. We pray for an end to the bloodshed in Sudan, in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Myanmar, and everywhere else that people are suffering violence. We pray for leaders who need to make difficult decisions. Would you give them wisdom and guidance? Would you move them with your compassion and inspire them with your heart for justice? And finally, we ask that you would open our hearts and inspire us to welcome the stranger. Teach us to see you 
in the faces of those we meet and to discover more of you as we do so. Amen.